0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Long Kang Stories This is John Wang, your most handsome non-xenophobic fellow ever on the face of the planet And today we have a very special episode, it's not the usual Long Kang kitties It's the Long Kang stories are very very different So we have Angie Hey And we have Rindo from the Living It Up in the Lion City podcast
1: Hi everyone, I am an uh, Indian citizen living here in Singapore I've been living here for the last 9 years uh, I'm the host of the podcast Living It Up in Lion City And uh, in this podcast we generally talk about, you know, various things uh, in and around Singapore, you know, stuff about culture, history and all that. And uh, we try to look at it from the perspective of both, you know, using both the local and foreign perspective. That was generally the overarching intent. But at the end of the day, it's just like a bunch of random people talking
0: into the mic. Isn't that all we are? Isn't that all we are? <laughs> we <We're laughs> just is, like it is. talking people, <laughs> <evil>, right? Randomly. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so today... So today's episode will be about your latest podcast episode on xenophobia. And as you all know, uh, xenophobia right, is very, very serious.
2: Before we get into all that, right, <laughs> maybe let me just uh, define what xenophobia and racism means. Uh, and I'm reading this off at uh, merriamwebster.com. Uh, Merriam- Xenophobia is fear and hatred of strangers or foreigners or of anything that is strange or foreign, whereas racism has a slightly broader range of meanings, including a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Something like that, basically. um, And of course, uh, these two meanings are sufficiently different that a person can... Very easily be both racist and xenophobic. Do we all agree?
0: I think functionally it's the same, They come from the same place, and I'm not so, I'm not so um concerned about the splitting well, of the hairs and all that, la.
2: I think in this context, uh, and especially as we are talking to Rindo about his podcast, uh, or about xenophobia, it matters because, um, his podcast specifically specifically talks about how Singaporeans are quite, you know, xenophobic towards uh Indians from India and Chinese people from China, right? Whereas we do have, like, local Indian populations and Chinese populations in Singapore, right? That we are generally not xenophobic against. We might be racist against them, however.
0: Well, before I think before we get do that, right, maybe, Rindo, you also just give a brief synopsis of the episode that in question, oh.
1: Sure, sure. So I, I do want to talk about maybe the definition of racism a little bit, at least how I understand it. But okay, so let me just start with uh, talking about um, what the podcast series is about. So um, the ongoing podcast series uh, is about understanding xenophobia in Singapore. And the intent of the episode was just to try to understand the latent xenophobia and that sentiment which has been simmering in Singapore for the last 30 years. This has you know, cropped up time and again. And you know, for the most part, while it doesn't really show up in regular discourse or in, in real life, uh, these sentiments exist and oftentimes small incidents tend to trigger a much larger conversation, which often have a xenophobic bent. The issue that I've had with discussions about xenophobia has always been to the tune of, you know, xenophobia is always talked about, you know, with with a very Western context. And I feel like there's not been much discussion about xenophobia within the Singaporean context. Well, I, um, well, as it turns out, there has been a lot of discussion around xenophobia in Singapore, which has mostly been limited to um, academic circles.
2: Yeah. By the way, I listened to your podcast, and I, I actually really absolutely loved how you were not trying to pass judgment, even though like you probably encountered some xenophobia yourself. Thank you. But yeah, but I really appreciated how you were trying to delve into all the history behind it. And episode one it was actually a really excellent starter. If you want to delve into this, because you gave like all the different time times in in Singapore's history, where from from how laws were passed and policies were passed to to bring you know foreigners into Singapore to work, and how that has kind of um, snowballed into what it is today, and how people are are feeling about it, right? Yeah. So yeah. that was that was awesome.
1: Thank you, thank you, Angie. I mean, it was a huge surprise for me too, honestly, and I'm sure like all of us kind of we're all aware of this narrative that Singapore doesn't have like history and there's all these, you know, it's, it's kind of like kind of sterile and all that stuff. But, you know, reading through the history and all those narratives, you know, that I got to read about, it just turned out to be like an amazing experience, even though the the topic is a controversial one.
0: So similarly, I think, also like to say that it's, it's definitely very empathetic towards the Singaporean point of view. You're not trying to, like what the both of you have mentioned, pass judgment. And that I think at the end of the day, it's actually a very fair, Summation Of the Of the mood And the situation But of course The reason I brought you on board Is not to Lavish you Lavish you with praise lah, Of course Damn it Yeah Oh man I, oh, I could man. get away with it so, I will
2: lavish all the praise
0: Yeah So the first thing I want to discuss Is Throughout your whole podcast Right What I noticed Is that There's a lot of of Empathy But I think that's the real Problem right That's the real issue Is that the the lack of empathy is not a cause nor the increase of empathy is not a solution to the to the problem because the the problem isn't that i don't i don't understand your situation the problem is that singaporeans and foreigners are functionally competing for the same thing
1: agreed agreed but i would i would disagree with you with the notion that you know empathy is not the lack of empathy is a problem and that empathy is not a solution because the essential idea that's an essential concept of xenophobia is that there is a fear resentment slash anger uh, and essentially lack of concern towards an other wouldn't that be construed as empathy at its core or lack of it
0: Singapore is already it's very scarce in terms of everything right we don't have any natural resources land jobs all this is they they are very hotly contested all the time as it is yeah and that for the government to enact, you know, their their kind of uh, vision of this globalized uh, society or whatever, right, and bringing in com- uh, bringing further competition, and sometimes at the at the cost of our own citizen, I think that's where the the problem comes from. I think the the issue with empathy, right? I'm sure we can empathize with a lot of different situations. I think humans are. Incredibly capable of empathy So I will give an example Would be You can empathize with a serial killer Maybe this fella He was raped when he was young Or what Correct right But That doesn't mean right You empathize with him Doesn't mean you don't want him To be put to death After being convicted For killing people Okay and uh, yeah. yeah So my My point is that Even though I can empathize with The foreigners living in Singapore They they too want the same thing I do They want to create a life They want to Do the things they love And want to earn money Possibly go back to their home country With a sizable amount of wealth Maybe find love in Singapore or Whatever I can empathise with all of that But that doesn't mean that I necessarily want so many of them here
1: I absolutely agree with you On a lot of those points So number one I believe that we can have a conversation about the necessity of the number of foreigners in Singapore whilst at the same time not have to resort to a rhetoric that has you know downstream issues like you know incidents of hate or or you know doxing and all that stuff as a foreigner myself i absolutely understand that the number of foreigners here in singapore have proven to be a challenge. And this is not because I was doing research for the podcast. Uh, I mean, this is something that not just me, but a lot of foreigners know, and they understand, uh, you know, and on a deeper level. But I think the issues that I generally want to point out and talk about would be to the tune of, yes, it's important to talk about the number of foreigners here. It is a political issue at its core. It's an issue of Singaporeans' livelihoods at their core. We also should be cognizant of the, da- the, the social challenges that go down the line. And not everyone can be aware of these issues and interpret them in a way that is not harmful to, uh, let's say, another person on the street. I want to qualify this by saying that I realize that t- talk about xenophobia in Singapore has been going on for quite some time, with the implication that it is harmful and then there is a a sense of you know there's probably physical violence or mental stress and all that stuff I want to qualify this by saying that you know you can I think as a foreigner as foreigners we can live our lives with relative comfort and without having to deal with the more problematic manifestations of xenophobia I think that that should be the way to go I just feel that over the last couple of years it hasn't
0: been the case in your podcast right that you do mention that you can understand that Singaporeans are angry. You know that they maybe they even feel like they are not welcome in their own in their own home anymore. However, having a meet that people are angry and they feel powerless, wouldn't you uh, also agree that this is a very appropriate or a very normal response. Okay, I won't say appropriate but this is a very normal response. Ooh, um maybe
2: let one. me jump in a little bit okay so I think there are two two factors to this here Singaporeans right I, the I think the levels of there are different levels of xenophobia so um one being that the one that John mentioned that uh, where middle class or, or general Singaporean citizens feel that foreigners are a threat to our livelihoods because they're taking our jobs etc etc right and and a lot of these people are probably middle class or upper middle class and they might harbor xenophobic tendencies towards people who are working in the same level as they are so for example uh filipinos who are working in um maybe hr jobs right or indians who are t- uh, taking um it projects things like that right
0: all stereotype much
2: i'm just saying okay <laughs> i'm sorry but it's true <laughs> So so, so you people. I have who my approval, occupy... Angie. No worries. Oh, thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, thank goodness you got the got a racism pass. <laughs> Shit, man. I'm <laughs> a real brown fella. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fuck off, John. But I'm just saying that. So so the I think there there is like really huge explicit um xenophobia towards people like that. And then there's this like benevolent goodwill feeling towards people who are foreign, but they take up jobs that Singaporeans don't want, right? They're like uh like for example, the the construction workers, the Bangladeshis, uh Filipino uh, nurses for example, and and so on and so forth. Like and and then there we have people who are kind of like, oh yeah, I mean we kind of need them, right? Yeah. Oh my god, their yeah, living conditions are so so Thing, We we should do something better for them. But at the same time, it's also like, but not in my backyard. So right?
0: all of this kind of also brings back to my original topic, which is empathy is not a solution. Which is to say that, okay, I can empathise with the foreign workers, but at the, at the end of the day, if there's no meaningful action done, then what the, what the hell is the point? So,
2: no, but going back to that, I would also say that what Rindo mentioned, that it is a political matter, is a really important point. Because... At the end of the day, the government sets the policies for the number of people who can come into Singapore. And what Singaporeans are really angry about, I think, is not that the it's not the fact that people want to come here and then like earn a good living and better their lives, but the fact that we have no control <laughs> over how many people come in. So this kind of anger is actually really, I feel, misplaced political anger. Uh and and helplessness, basically they, they, that they feel That they can't stop all this from happening. Actually, you can, you know, Singaporeans. You just need to vote.
0: (laughs) I I will, I mean, from this, we can jump on to the next point. But Rindall, maybe you want to hop in first uh, regarding the empathy point before I move on to the next point? Sure.
1: Well, I, I sincerely believe that empathy matters a lot. I think relatability is a big factor in how we, you know, see people from other communities. And, like, and we see this in the Singaporean context also, right? The ability to, you know, just hang out. With uh, people of you know different uh, flavors and ethnicities and social communities etc. allows us to you know share that share that empathetic connection essentially you know it's, it's it sounds airy fairy but I, I really sincerely believe that this is the case. Um, one of the things that I've noticed here in Singapore is that there is significant divide between um, foreigner communities and Singaporeans, and it's not often bridged as much as let's say in other places. Maybe I'm slightly biased because I have lived in other places where there have been similar expat and local divides. You know, there's a bit of deja vu also going on. So I'm like, okay, I'm hearing the similar conversations here and I'm hearing it, you know, here in Singapore, too. To give you some more context, I grew up in a Middle Eastern country where there is a similar expat and local divide. A lot of it just plays out in much the same way you see the difference in places where foreigners and locals occupy the same social spaces, occupy the same living spaces. And it's not in the sense that they're encroaching each other. It's just that we both, like both communities, both social sections have similar lived experiences. They have shared experiences. And this allows them to just, you know, understand the other and therefore don't have conversations about whether one community is more deserving of the other. You know, I I still feel that empathy plays a huge part and, and how um, xenophobia, the lack thereof, plays out.
2: So can I just clarify that when you said that you were, when you're in the Middle East, mm-hmm. it was less problematic when people had the same experiences and were living in the same spaces?
1: No, it was actually a huge problem. I mean, uh, oh, right. don't get me wrong, like, you know, xenophobia is not new to me. <laughs> this is... <laughs> it's I not mean, a Singaporean problem. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely not. So I think, and I understand a lot of conversations about how we shouldn't, like, benchmark the Singaporean flavor of xenophobia with the others, because obviously there's different levels to it. And I have tried to address this. The reality is that xenophobia is here to stay. And it has been, like, a trend over the last couple of decades. But it's it's always been there, you know, as long as there's another... There's an unrelatable other community. This shit is going to be there. the The country that I lived in is called Bahrain, and it had like 60% of the population were foreigners. Wow. And yeah, it's it's a huge percentage. And what's worse is that I mean, Bahrain is actually relatively okay in that respect. Other Middle Eastern countries like the United, uh, the UAE, um, has like 80% are foreigners. The dynamic plays slightly differently in the UAE because the 20% of locals are actually so they're called Emirati. They get a lot of privileges. They get a lot yeah. of, you know, government benefits. And so they're kind of like top of the hierarchy, so to speak. They're so, not
2: threatened, basically.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So they don't particularly have issues with foreigners occupying the space. But the, the social anger and the, the condescension and the patronizing and all the, all the systems that they have built, you know, to essentially marginalize the majority, essentially, um, mm-hmm. are there, are present. And they're not going to go away. Singapore has it much much better. Let me just say that. At the same time, these little you know social issues still exist. So,
0: jumping on to the next point that I have, right? Also, this is a good segue. A lot of the anger that comes from this type of, from this particular issue, la, from xenophobia, is also the lack, the the unwillingness or the lack of assimilation, from the from the expat or from the foreign community. Wouldn't you agree?
1: I hate to say this, John, but uh, yes, yes, I do agree with you. I think not enough incentive for assimilation here. Don't get me wrong. I most of my friends, you know, like my foreigner friends. We all, we all, like you know, are here. We are part of you know the society and all that. And there is an understanding that you know we have to understand local systems and all that stuff. But as with a lot of countries which have these local expat divides, it is extremely easy to stay within your bubble. It's extremely easy to not deal with people outside of, you know, uh, your your culture or your uh, socioeconomic status even. And I think there's probably one thing that I was a little reluctant to talk about. But there is, of course, that very prevalent um, inflated expat ego, which plays out in, in so many places. Um, it's like, once again, at the risk of generalizing. There is the notion that, you know, if you are uh, working outside of where you're from, there is an inherent belief that, you know, you are here because of your abilities, and which is absolutely true. Uh, but then this plays out such that we are here because of abilities that weren't locally available. Now, it's not. Ooh, so it's
2: Interesting. It's,
1: it's it's pretty. I mean, I I hate to generalize once again because I know for the most most of my friends aren't like that, but this exists. Are you guys familiar with the um, expat social network called Internations?
2: I have no, no idea. Never heard of nope. it.
1: Okay. Um, InterNations is a social network for expats across the world. It's a global social network. And, you know, there's a big chapter here in Singapore. It's it's a great community in the sense that, you know, when someone is new to Singapore, it allows you to get access to resources. Where do you go to, like, find a house? What do you do with this? You know, what are the social norms that, you know, we should make sure that we don't, you know, violate? And what are the cultural power that we must avoid? So it's actually a pretty great network. But I stopped going to those social network meetups because, like, the pervasive sense of expats being here because we're awesome was just even for me a little too much so um and <laughs> well, expat.
2: Mean, that would explain like only a certain section of the expat population right because you would i mean you would have to be of a certain class or hierarchy you have to be earning over a certain amount of money to to belong in those clubs but then there are a lot of people who are also just a lot of uh expats who are not like you know, the typical white or you know earning like maybe over five or six k a month type who are living here, and I think they con constitute like the majority of our um foreign population. So well, that's yeah.
0: Sorry. Uh, anyway, Rindo, don't don't say even for me lah. Anyway, but I've re- <laughs> interacted with window many times. He's a really nice guy. That's why we can have this conversation now yes. in the civil manner <laughs> that we are having. Every time I meet Thank him, by know, the John, way, I, I we, are, we are always debating, by the way. Um, I don't think I've ever met Window without debating him. But it's always been good fun. And Thank you, John. That's a compliment that I did not expect from you. <laughs> oh, no worries, no worries. <laughs> Please
2: treasure well, it. It doesn't come very often.
0: <laughs> but I mean, I was just having a discussion with my friend about maybe two months ago, just regarding this particular point. There's always this... Process right That somehow uh, Plurality is a is an ideal That we should strive towards too Meaning to say That You know Individual cultures Should somehow Hang on To their vestiges No matter where they are In the world Thereby Kind of Bringing a bit of your culture From your homeland To this foreign land Not say that I Completely disagree with that But With that right Comes the risk of This resistance Towards assimilation Of course Ego plays a big part and but i think the the anger that is directed towards foreigners in singapore is not solely exclusive to the to the high earners no i don't think it's possible to have the this pluralism and assimilation on the one hand i i understand like i think it's a
1: it's it's a tightrope walk right it's it's not something that you can say with any degree of conviction that hey yes pluralism is good uh or yes, you know, assimilation is to be the only solution. I think there needs to be a balance that needs to be, you know, figured out on an individual level. I can totally understand the need to hold on to one's identity, wherever they're from or whatever they believe in, mostly because as as foreigners, you know, homesickness is a big part of our existence. And sometimes even the little things with respect to our culture or our upbringing tends to give us some level of solace, you know, when we're strangers in a strange land obviously this should not take precedence over you know assimilation like there has to be a certain uh, social contract that hey we are in this place there are certain rules to be followed it is okay to make cultural faux pas every once in a while but it has to come with it has to be followed up with us understanding and you know going with the flow so to speak plurality doesn't necessarily mean holding on to one's identity at the expense of everything else i think there is something I, th- I think both can exist.
2: I think the thing is, if if I just go off like you know YouTubers who are foreigners and, and have been kind of, I would say, accepted by Singaporeans. One of them would be uh, you know that Japanese guy who goes around Singapore and giving like reviews. What the hell is his name?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gib Ojisan. Yeah.
2: Yes, give Ojisan. Yeah. Yeah. So so that guy, like when I went to check his um, YouTube videos out like a lot of the videos you know there would be Singaporeans praising him for like how he's like adapted to Singapore how he's so interested in our culture and how he would try and explore all the different and strange parts of our land basically so even when he gives like criticisms of Singapore people are like oh yeah yeah that's true that's true you know they don't like shit on him for the most part
1: agreed agreed and I, I think Givoji is pretty interesting because he does it with humility you know and there's like a there's an innocence, for the lack of a better word, you know, in the way that he talks about things and the way they talk about, hey, why is this like this? And uh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and it's not just Kib oji Like, there's a number of, you know, foreigner YouTubers who are living here in Singapore who talk yeah. about it and are like, people love them. Um, yeah, like,
2: uh, what's her, yeah. uh, what's her name? Georgia Caney?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she, she's, she's from the UK,
2: yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and she, she also has, I think, quite a sizable, uh, Singaporean audience. And I think at the end of it, it, it if you show like a interest and, and willingness to adapt and, and to live here and kind of blend in, I think Singaporeans are generally okay. But then being okay with, say, one person on YouTube that you can kind of relate to doesn't mean that you are not xenophobic towards the rest of the people.
0: Actually, this conversation also kind of broadened my horizon a little bit in terms of, okay, I've been looking at it just a... Uh... Kind of X Y axis, right? Meaning to say there is a uh, polarity and uh simulation. But I think there's a there's a there's a Z there's a Z axis to the whole di- to the whole factor. That kind of overarchs everything, which is oh your ego, right? Oh my god, ego, it's right? three dimensional now. Yeah, it's fucking three yeah. <laughs> layers. So layers it's three at a fourth <laughs> dimension? Yeah, but uh, yeah, the the ego portion of it actually also plays a big role in terms of. I mean, if you're just generally an asshole, right, and then. <laughs> You, you kind of compound with the fact that you are a foreigner who's unwilling to assimilate and you kind of just like shit all over everyone, then fucking nobody's going to take you seriously. Uh. I mean, everybody's going to... Sh- every Like the first thing that people going to attack you for is your f- foreign status.
1: Absolutely. And it's like, you know, the, the, the foreign identity is the easiest one. It's the easiest target. So they go for that. Um, there was one incident that came to mind. I think it was 2011. It was like around the time that I first arrived. Um, so there was this uh, expat lady who was, like, venting on Facebook, demanding why she, as a foreigner, wasn't able to ballot for NDP tickets. and a what? For, for the National Day Parade. So That like, actually you know,
2: happened? Wow. Yeah,
1: this is like, uh, I, I forget huh. her name. What then happened was people were like, oh, no, you know, it's like this is for Singaporeans and stuff. And then, well, you know, that was a fairly okay explanation. But then she went on a rant saying that, why is it only for Singaporeans? Why is this happening? Like, I'm an expat here. I was brought here because you guys can't, you know, do the job, and that's why I was brought here. And so, you know, all oh. the and all that stuff, and then that just went fucking it went wild, like wow. people just went batshit it insane on this lady. <laughs> and you but, okay,
2: okay, keeping in in mind that this is 2011, and then like you know, we were not so internet savvy back then. You know, people said all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah, but well. I mean that's that's uh, that <laughs> that's really happen. bad. Yeah, I yeah.
1: mean, she was obviously, you know, being condescending, and so of course, yeah. when someone is condescending on the internet, that's that's just like, she just
0: mm-hmm. like, you know, drew a bullseye on her forehead, right?
2: Yeah, I can't, I can't believe I, I don't know about this at all. Damn, I think
0: I heard of it. Now we can't. Now let's take the ego portion and flip it over to the other side, which is the Singaporean side, la. And of course, naturally, I think, I think for me, la, as a Singaporean, I can safely say, by and large, we are quite a disagreeable group, and that. We are also quite what? egotistical. Oh um, Speak
2: for yourself, John.
0: No, 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 no. I I firmly put you in that camp, Angie. You are, you are right there, fucking right there. You are the queen of that camp. But of course, that being said, right, one of the topics that you raised up was the Singapore exceptionalism kind of mentality that we have. Once again, right, I don't particularly um see that as as an immoral or a or a wrong stance to have
2: well, it depends on how you how you think about it right like so so for for example, if you have this in- inherent sense of superiority just because you're a Singaporean and you live in a first world country and then and then from there you have the mentality that okay anyone not from a first world country, for example, maybe if they come from a third world country, they are automatically going to be i don't know dirty or unhygienic or you know uncultural or you know. All, all those whatevers, uh, then that is problematic, don't you think?
1: So Singaporean exceptionalism was an interesting term that was thrown around, you know, quite recently and stuff like that. And it kind of resonated with me simply because there was a comparison made with what Tomiko generally says. And I just want to say this, like, I, I respect Tomiko for what he says uh, generally, but that whole, you know, Singapore is a first world country with a third world people, it just, just sounds so... Yeah, I, I just don't like how that's being... Uh, you know, pushed across. I understand the criticism that he is trying to make this a call to action for people to be more gracious and you know rise up above the pettiness that you know we're seeing in society today. But like there is that implication that third world people are by definition uncivilized or socially r- irresponsible, and so the moral implication to what is essentially an economic pedestal just does not sit well with me. While we're on this topic about exceptionalism. I don't necessarily think that exceptionalism is a bad thing. So I'm, I'm Indian. Uh, I'm from India. And I wake up every morning. I wake up and I'm like, I'm Indian. I'm from India. I'm <laughs> I'm from the best country in the world. Like, of course, we have like a ton of issues and all that. And like India is currently burning. But fuck, it's the best country in the world. And like that's that's exceptionalism for me because I believe that India is unique. I believe I grew up with the idea that India overcomes overcame so many odds, you know, to become what it is today, warts and all. And so exceptionalism can often be construed as a a patriotism of sorts. Exceptionalism can also have those levels of patronizing other countries and condescension and all that stuff, but it doesn't necessarily need to be applied in a social context. I I guess, like in Singapore at least, from what I've been reading and from what I've been seeing admittedly on a surface level is that it's not necessarily exceptionalism that's the issue, but it's the challenges to it in a particularly volatile environment. I I I think we've all noticed that, you know, these sentiments generally arise in times of economic or social crises when the, the global financial crises, and you know stuff like that. When these things happen, that's when all these sentiments, you know, just um, froth to the surface and then
0: that's what we're seeing. Of course I'm not saying that you're saying it's wrong and I, I don't think you portray it as such. It it kind of just to me it's just a mirror law. We're just kind of that's why I say I don't think empathy is or lack of empathy is is the cause of it Essentially We're just kind of mirror images Of each other In terms of people Who are unwilling to assimilate And people who are Extremely patriotic of Singapore And This this kind of Opposing ideology Right Whenever they Whenever they clash in the middle that, That's that's when A lot of ugliness happens And I think we just kind of need to Give space for that Meaning to say that it, I don't Necessarily think that it's xenophobic Sometimes People are just angry Like you said they froth at the mouth whenever Kind of global uh, Issues happen It could be economic, it could be pandemic Whatever But that's when you feel the sense of powerlessness And you feel like Okay I have I have to lash out I can't lash out at my government Kind of nothing gets done Then I just go on the internet and I just lash out at the nearest Minority community or whatever But that's not to say that That's not to say that The minority community cannot, cannot Lash back right this happens a lot i mean we it, it's kind of it, it almost become like banter at some point you see it's just this back and forth <laughs> i so, i just i just don't necessarily see it as xenophobia yes i i think there's a one thing that you mentioned which i
1: i really resonated with which is that you know we have to give space for these this banter that will often happen you know uh, in these rifts at the same time a lot of people do not understand this. This is kind of the reason why I wanted to cover xenophobia in Singapore in the first place. Xenophobia is generally talked about, you know, as, as, a, as a moral value. Every time, you know, when something, when some ugly shit happens, and generally if it's between a local and foreigner, regardless of where they are, it's like there are people from either side of the camp saying that, oh, fuck, you know, Singaporeans are xenophobic. End of story. You know, that's it. So, and then any solution or any discussion or discourse around that is often like, just stop being xenophobic. And and I I read these articles which are generally hot takes, and I'm like, what 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 ne- what next? You know, like what's what's going Just on? Just stop
2: here? being xenophobic, yo. Yeah,
1: and I'm like, Just okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> tell me how. Right? It also points to a larger issue that a lot of foreigners here in Singapore are often not aware of local issues. It's often not their fault. Like I used to be super judgmental of people who didn't understand local context, and I dare say there was probably an element of condescension on my side because I think. I was kind of projecting the idea that, hey, you know, look at me. I know more about Singapore than you do and all that shit. But totally I've... warranted.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, Aji. But I think I've come to be a little more uh, understanding because over the course of, you know, so many years, I've been talking to people and I understand that our priorities in understanding our local environment are often not top of the list of things. So And also,
2: um, like, maybe yeah. you're overestimating how many people are interested in current
0: affairs. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be current affairs. I mean, just like even understanding. Like, yeah. Or like social uh, norms. lah. La. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's actually a very good point that you raise up because that's also what I'm trying to say, right, is that not everybody kind of thinks about all these issues the same way that we do. I mean, we have clearly too much fucking free time on our hand, right? But <laughs> I mean, imagine, if, imagine you're this dude and you're working 60 hours a week, you've got three kids, and then you have an ailing mother at home. And maybe your dad just broke his knee and whatnot. You yep. you just don't have the time to go and pass out like precisely what the fuck am I feeling towards towards this particular group. And same thing if let's say you are you know a Filipino HR person, right? You're also working. You're also putting in the hours. You're you're maybe you're worrying about your tr- your your son back in, at home. Uh, you're worried about your your husband getting caught up in some you know drug turf gang war or whatever. All this shit kind of just weighs on your mind, and you just don't have the time to just like, oh, you know what? Let me let me go and carefully consider this this local Singaporean calling me. Why do me, they hate us so? Yeah, <laughs> saying that my sister can be your mate. You know, like the are kind of like, I'm not gonna take the time to go and understand your shit, right? If let's say we were to try and say, okay, let let's just let us just censor all this ugliness. My I think my feeling is that the whole situation will be made worse. I think if let's say. As ugly as it is, if there's a space for us to kind of just duke it out verbally, if there's no kind of consequences, uh, physical or economical or whatever, I I just I don't see the harm in it la. I I suppose that's my that's my take.
1: Wait, are you uh, are, are you suggesting you know there should be like a fight
0: club going on? Isn't that what verbal fight club? Isn't that what EDMW is basically? <laughs>
2: So like, so you're saying that we should get our aggro out basically by v- verbally fighting it out so that it doesn't escalate to like physical exchanges in real life?
0: Angie, isn't that how you deal with your anger?
2: Uh, That's kind of true. Yeah. I mean,
0: <laughs> going back to xenophobia, right? Of course, all of this ugliness, we kind of tend to try to categorize it and frame it as a certain so-called moral negative and we do our best to try and remove as much of the so-called biological factors, like stuff we can't control, yeah, uh, you you can't control where you're born, what's your race, so on and so forth, and we try to say that okay, let's let's have discussions where we eliminate as many of the biological factors as possible, and if we're talking about something environmental, and let's just focus on the environment. I just don't think it happens that way.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, this is something that I went through too. So I think my first year in, uh, here in Singapore, you know, of course, you know, homesickness kicks in, and you know, then there's also like loneliness, and you know, so I'm just busy just trying to address these issues first, and only after that, I think maybe like a month eight or nine was when I, you know, kind of got my bearings. I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable enough not to just you know cry to my family every night over Skype or something. Then we can we can explore and go beyond that. For a lot of people That just never happens Yeah, no, I, I I, don't know I I don't think I disagree With you on this John.
0: Another thing that you Raise up, right In your podcast episode Which I have a bit Of a problem with Is the discrimination Within Singapore I don't know if you Ever listened to one of Our Wong Gang Kiddies episode Where we tackle The issue of discrimination And basically What I'm saying is, right I don't think discrimination Is necessarily wrong What you want to do Is to not discriminate for moral reason, do you know what I'm saying? Hmm.
1: Okay. So this is actually one of the few topics that I actually feel very, very strongly about.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um. Ooh, wonderful. It's uh, uh. This is it. It depends on what kind of discrimination we're talking about, right? Like I, we need to separate a couple of issues here. For me, discrimination is an act. Stereotyping is a mindset. I don't think that the mindset is necessarily wrong because we all work with information that we have and it can be inaccurate, it can be incomplete, it can be you know rehashed, um, repurposed, circulated. But the act of doing something built on top of these stereotypes is what results in discrimination. This still happens. It's unconscious, it's, it's it can be systemic, and these are all things that we may not even be aware of. But once this is made aware of, and once this becomes part of you know popular dialogue, I think we owe it to ourselves to understand that yes, this is a problem, and it's like it's not an easy thing to address, right? I mean, we're all lazy inherently, and I'm like I would rather not deal with it and just go with pre-existing stereotypes or prejudices that I have, but if you know about it, I think there is a certain social responsibility to address it, and if you don't address it, nobody's holding a gun to your head. Um, if you don't, but I, I think it's a kind and empathetic thing to do. Um,
2: so one of the examples that you brought up in your podcast, I think it was the second part of the podcast, if I'm not wrong, is the fact that you know in Singapore it's very common for landlords or homeowners to discriminate yeah. when they're renting their apartments or or rooms to foreigners. Like sometimes yeah. they will say no Indians or no Chinese people or or you know uh, only white collar workers, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So that's that's institutional. I mean, that's actually something and, you know, a lot of this is not just third hand reading right now. These are some things and this is something that I personally experience. I try to like move past it and I understand that there are social issues behind why things are the way they are. But that doesn't make me any happier about it. And it is, in my opinion, an objective problem. This is not something that is just that affects Indian foreigners or expats, or you know expats of a certain community. This does affect expats as a whole there are certain prejudices that are then applied often incorrectly and this becomes an issue i guess the issue the, the problem that i have with what's happening in singapore is that there's this two aspects to number one legislation is a bit problematic there isn't any uh, anti-discrimination laws with respect to renting which is surprising considering that malaysia is drafting one already in singapore that isn't the case because like singapore has what the, the highest home ownership in the in the world i think right yeah. um and, uh, kind
0: people. of, okay.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> where that, that's else? like another can of. Worms. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there.
0: Yeah, but, but it's yeah. kind of,
2: it's kind of like ownership, but not really. <laughs> yeah. So I think <laughs>
0: the the way I see it, right? Okay, let's just say, for example, now I have this rental apartment, and I say no single males allowed. Okay, yeah. is that discrimination?
1: Oh, man. that's uh, okay. So I, I've heard every variation of this conversation and none of these end well. I, I would say that it's not discrimination. Uh, um, why not? I, I honestly do not have an answer for this because I'm essentially I have this stereotype in, in my head that landlords generally do this because they have the safety of their tenants or their family in mind. So So there is a moral when,
0: reason for you, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, yes it is stereotyping. Yes, it is discrimination on, on lines of gender. Um and I uh, personally I would put that on a better standing than uh discrimination with respect to ethnic origin or religion. It is discrimination, but it's not something that I'm particularly against, which is very hypocritical. Yeah, so, so
0: my so my point being Discrimination in in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing We do it all the time We, We just discriminate And we don't even know that we're discriminating And of course, once again, right Going back to my point earlier I would prefer it if we don't talk about race I would prefer it if we don't discriminate based on race Because that's something you can't control But at the same time, even immutable traits, right Given certain circumstances I also can come up with examples that discrimination would be perfectly okay And in that kind of sense right it, it just becomes this can of worms again Where if you were to try and legislate for it right And then people will just, just come up with all sorts of like Stupid fucking nonsense or they will obscure the rules So that you are not completely sure uh, what you are getting yourself into So they can have a last minute excuse You think about it another way if this fella hates Indians so much, right, do you really want to stay in his house?
1: Ooh, uh, that's... Okay, so that's the thumb rule that we generally use. So it's like... So generally, so what I do is that uh, when I have to like move homes or have to like look for a place, for example, uh, so one of the things that I do, which is an awesome thing, is one of the websites called National uh, They have a filter called All Races Welcome. It has since changed to Diversity Friendly now, which unfortunately has narrowed the uh, number of apartments up for uh, rent. But uh, yeah, so essentially, so that's the first level of, you know, just maximizing my chances of renting an apartment, right? So we have that. So that's good. And even within that space, there are these issues. And yes, John, you're absolutely right. So if there is any inkling towards the fact that a landlord is has any sort of prejudice that will negatively affect my quality of life, if, if the dude has prejudices that he expresses on social media or whatever it is, hey, man, you do you. But if it has the... Chance or the possibility of affecting my quality of life living in his apartment or her apartment avoid it completely that's that's a, that's a choice that I make I'd be like, nope, I don't want to deal with this, but that doesn't address the underlying issue, which is that this thing exists, and i the the other reason why I really really want to talk about this is because this has not been talked about a lot for the longest time maybe for personal background uh, when I first moved to Singapore in two thousand and eleven, all of the expat resources didn't talk about this at all. Uh, and the reason is extremely simple. All of the expat resources were primarily Western, who, as a rule, generally don't face these kinds of discrimination issues, at least in Singapore. There I was, you know, having read about Singapore before moving here, and I, I come in here and I'm like, Ooh, wait, what? Nobody told me about this. And then I started like reaching out to other people, and I didn't know if it was like a, a thing to talk about because it just seemed like it was just happening to me. And then, you know, over time, I've come to realize that there is a a larger narrative around this, and it still doesn't get talked about as much. So it is an underlying issue. And of course, we have ways to address it. So number one, we have a Facebook group where we talk about, you know, which are more friendly, you know, towards different kinds of people, which landlords generally don't have problems with having, you know, tenants of different uh, races or communities. So there are those things that we do address on the side. But Let's also talk about why this is,
0: right? and I, I take a look at it from another point of view as well, which is mainly economic. So, of course, you can stereotype all you want and you can kind of pass all, all kind of judgment of, upon all sorts of races and you can invite a particular type of person that you want into your home. There are consequences for those choices. And I believe if these kind of consequences, they kind of repeat themselves over and over again, right? Then that is the so-called the organic way that a person will come around and say, okay, maybe I shouldn't discriminate in this particular fashion since it seems like my discrimination has cost me. And I and I kind of believe that that is the way to, to go about looking at it. And also, there's another factor to all of this, which is the reason why, one of the main reasons why you are facing so much pressure in terms of Trying to look for suitable housing is be- precisely because you are competing with other experts as well, and once again, right, there's there's insufficient space, or at least the proper allocation of space isn't perfect, and that you compound it with discrimination, it makes it harder for you. I will I will plainly admit that, and I'll say that I'll say for sure I've met, uh, people who just fucking hate Indians. This is not something that I will obscure a lot I will freely admit that I have seen those people before But at the same time The people that are willing to accept you Will be willing to accept others as well And thereby you have just created a problem for yourself In terms of well we're gonna have more people coming in And there will be additional economic pressures on all sides As a result of this The sentiment towards xenophobia like where it stems from this feeling of competitiveness and powerlessness, right, will eventually extend over to the expats themselves, the people, the foreigners themselves who are living in Singapore. And I don't know, it's just a, it's just a vicious cycle, right?
1: It it is, and you know, I I want to maybe extend a little bit what he said about the economic aspects of it. It is absolutely economic. There's a very really interesting documentary about racism where. Uh, they, they talk about how racism is essentially a function of economics, right? So there are some long held ideas about which communities are essentially, you know, socially and economically de- desirable. And over generations, this has built, around, b- built up, you know, narratives around these communities. As far as the real estate, uh, the rental situation in, in Singapore is concerned, it is absolutely economic. But there's two sides to the story. Number one, I absolutely understand that there are certain stereotypes around, you know, uh, whether certain communities are house proud. Are- or not. And this defines how landlords want to rent these apartments. So there is a belief that, oh, shit, I will have to spend a little more money because of, you know, certain problematic issues around this. And so I'd rather not deal with that. So the easy way out is to not do it. And that's completely fine. The counter to that is that there is a system in place to address this issue, which is um, security deposits. So a lot of tenants, a lot of landlords, you know, have like a one month deposit or two month deposit even, uh, depending on apartment. And this is essentially to allay any fears or uh, you know issues around whether there is property damage or stuff like that. So I would contend that this is a system in place that ideally should ameliorate these issues. But at the same time, I also understand this based on some conversations I had with friends who work in the real estate scene, is that when you have a situation when you have all these security deposits, even with that in place, it is still easier to flip an apartment to the next tenant quicker if these prejudices are applied, you know? So yeah, as because it then,
2: out, yeah. yeah, because then you don't have the downtime of having to clean it up or having to renovate the whole house. Correct. And then, you know, there might be the issue where the, you know, security deposit might not be enough to cover all all the stuff that you need to do to make yeah. it as desirable to the next rental, yeah. renter, right?
1: So, um, in, in a sense, that system has reinforce a lot of these things now this it's not like a, a major reason why but this is one of those things although he did say one thing which is that these issues completely disappear when we're talking about high value rentals so it's like anything like ten thousand like 10k or above per month for example none of these issues exist so it is absolutely an economic thing so it's like if you are a high value uh, foreigner a high value person looking to rent for example like no nope, prejudice is thrown out the window so yes, John, you are right. Money, yo. yeah, it is money. yeah, it is. at its core economic.
2: <laughs> and the other thing is also like the people who are uh, friendly to diversity, they actually kind of rip profit off it because you've got like here you have like a huge pool of people who have no place to to rent, right? And yep. then you are one of the few in the in the market who is actually renting, so you can actually you can charge a way higher price for what you have uh, compared to someone offering you know, the same house in the same district to, like, a smaller pool of people.
1: Agreed, agreed. And that does happen. And, you know, and because it happens to my benefit, I'm not going to complain.
2: Well, is it to your benefit? Because then you have to pay more for your rent. I it's mean, kind of, at least to... in the sense
1: that like, I know for a fact that this person is friendly and I don't have to yeah. deal with issues further down the line. You know, in, in that, sense. that is true.
0: It's kind but of like the also, Singapore it... manpower laws, right? Where in... You're not... You're supposedly not allowed to discriminate based on... Mm. Race, language, religion, so on and so forth. So, for example, right when you are uh, posting a job listing, you are not allowed to say Chinese only apply. But, however, but you
2: can say that ch- like the the knowledge of Chinese language is uh, essential, though. You
0: you you have to frame it in another way. You have to say we do business in China, something like that. <laughs> yeah, they, you have to frame. So the the I think the reason why I think legislation would just make it worse, right? Is that it will really, I mean, now there's a system in place and people kind of know where the incentives of the system is and that there will always be people that pops up to try and capitalize on some gap in the market one. I mean, you may not be able to find it immediately, but certainly like what NG said, you know, so-called pro-diversity people can usually find ways to earn money from this kind of, this lack of uh, supply or or lack of demand. So having the government come in and try and solve this problem, right, I think it will just make it like just far like everything government touch just turns to shit. That's my first rule. I don't <laughs> care what it is like. That's better. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, John, it's not like this is new or novel. I mean, this has been applied across many countries which have which have similar multicultural models. I mean, I'm going to just give you an example from a friend who is who's German and like these laws exist in Germany where it's outright illegal to make any sort of you know, discrimination on, on racial lines. Maybe it's historical context, I don't know. But, I like, think that is, definitely
2: that is. historical context. <laughs>
1: and so the but thing what is, is the yeah.
0: effectiveness of the of the law? So
1: think? the thing is, yes, these things do happen, but at least there is an implicit understanding that, okay, this is not supposed to happen. So it just sieves out the people who are kind of on the fence about things, and they'd be like, yeah, you know, i just stick on the side of the law. And then there's always going to be those assholes who are still going to be like, yeah, fuck that shit. I'm going to still not rent this to that person. Yeah, plus but,
2: there is also like legal recourse for people who have been discriminated. So, you know, yep, um, Yes. if you can prove it, like you can be like, hey, you know, you're supposed to rent this to me because the only reason you're not renting it to me is because I am, let's say, Indian. Right. Yep. So you can bring this to law and then have them solve that. So even though you might not want to rent from this asshole anymore, you could like bring him to court. Whereas here, you're really at the mercy of the landlord. basically. But that that
0: kind of, I think that just exacerbates the problem. So if you think about, okay, let's let's move away from Indians for the time being and let's look Hmm. at Chinese nationals. Yeah, Landlords don't want to rent to Chinese nationals either. And the reason for that, right, is primarily because of the nightmare stories that the media like to peddle and peddle fucking hard. So they, they love all these Chinese nationals. They just like, Oh, you know, you you shit in my washing machine, and you put like rotten chicken down my sink, and and you do all sort of nasty shit to my house, right? And then they just passed Wait, did you
2: see someone shit in the washing machine? Or
0: something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, this happened, right? What? Well, maybe not shit in it, like, But they put something inside. I yeah. Okay. I, no, I'm not joking. By the way, this this is real, yeah. and that in turn created this image for the national, the Chinese nationals in Singapore, and the for the landlords who are discriminatory already this just serves as a as a further justification for their discrimination and if you were to put into place right a system where okay I'm I'm gonna sue the shit out of this guy and get some kind of compensation now the landlords right they, this will be picked up by the media you know the first landmark case or whatever and then now the the, the landlords their, their immediate feeling is Oh shit! I better not rent it to another Indian fella otherwise I'm going to get sh- the shit sold out of me. Nobody fully understands what the law entails and what ter- legal terms such as like damages or what are, what is what is legal term for discrimination, so and so forth. Like nobody they they kind of have their own understanding of it, but it's not the legal definition of it. And all of this will just create, I think, more problems.
1: Well, okay, so um, I understand that, and yes these problems do exist. Um, I think this is, uh, I mean, there are demonstrable examples in the U.S. with the uh, rise of Airbnb. So it simply allowed a lot of landlords to circumvent the discrimination laws and essentially uh, apply their prejudices uh, uh, based on their whims and stereotypes. Um, So these things do exist. But at the same time, I think the, the greater good is that People who are on the fence generally will want to side with the law. So I don't know if exacerbating the problem would be uh, the right term to use. I think, yes, it would cause a lot more social issues. There will probably be like a complexity of issues that, you know, we probably don't foresee. But in terms of numbers and in terms of the number of people who can actually rent an apartment without significant mental stress, I think that's a win. The
2: other thing is also like when you have laws like this in place, you make it harder for people to discriminate. And when they don't discriminate, right? uh, When okay, not say don't discriminate. When they're not able to discriminate, then you know they will have to accept people who are who may be Indian or they may be Chinese nationals. And I think in most cases, uh, unless you're super unlucky, they turn out to be okay, right? And that's also a way of um, dispelling that whole xenophobic uh, understanding that you got from the media who likes to tell you you know you know chinese nationals shit in the washing machines right then you realize hey they are actually not that bad and then because of that maybe the next time you want to rent out to someone else you wouldn't discriminate
0: i suppose my point is i'd rather it all be done or- organically with your speech and your action rather than the government putting you know like Sending men with guns to go and enforce all these stuff. But the thing
2: is sometimes you do have to like you know, really ground down on things, right? Like for example, universal masking. If you don't fucking put on the mask, we'll fine you three hundred dollars. I mean this is the first time.
0: Okay la not, not a part of this particular subject, but okay. Yeah, I see your point. I mean certainly both of us like neither neither party in this conversation can foresee the future. I mean I could be completely fucking wrong. But of course the the way that I see things, being a businessman, there's a lot of laws, there's a lot of rules that we have to follow and I, and I just see circumvention of these rules and laws like all the fucking time. Like, there, there is there is no way to make people behave unless there is an incentive to do the right thing. And to, and that's not, that's not the same as a disincentive to do the wrong thing. It's, it's, it's two completely different things.
2: Okay, okay. So, alright. Okay, I, I'm just gonna go off this anecdotal story that I have and it's a, a relative of mine she rents her house out all right and there was one time where the and she i think she used to also be dislike renting to chinese nationals and india indians and what happened was like there was a kind of like a lao period where she was unable to get any renters at all right oh. uh, from her preferred pool of race or whatever and then she was like okay fine i'll i'll take on this indian fellow and his family and what happened was that she liked them so much that now she was like, you know, if I could, I would just prefer to rent to like Indians. So, wow, okay. That's yeah. That's a hard really, time. It which is kind of really funny. <laughs> Makes me I mean. feel
0: all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> but this of course
2: this is anecdotal.
0: Um
2: but I'm what I'm saying is that if people don't have the choice and they or they have to, for example, go out of their comfort zone to encounter people who they might not encounter in their daily life, a lot of these bad myths or stereotypes could be ex- exterminated. Which is why I think it's great to have laws to to do so. But of, of course, it could go the other way, right? where she has a terrible experience and it reinforces her stereotypes. But well,
0: anyway, this has this has gone on for an hour already, one hour plus. This <laughs> crazy. Um, uh, apologies. For, um, no, no, no. <laughs> that's great. That's great. About that's cool. this a good, <laughs> it's a It's a huge topic. Yeah. It's a huge topic. I mean, topic. what we what we've done here, I think, is important. And well, I I think everything I do is important. Sure, um, John. Like think <laughs> <most> I think <laughs> what we'll do is we'll just go one last round. Uh-huh. Uh Maybe just our thoughts. I'll start with Ng, then followed by Rindo. Or do you want Rindo to go first?
2: Maybe we don't can go over since he's the guest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. No worries. (laughs) Uh, I I just want to say that, you know, this this experiment around understanding xenophobia has been very um, eye-opening for me. There was a lot of context that I thought I understood, but I think this has just opened my eyes to a lot of other underlying, not issues, but stuff that's been going on that explains a lot of these things. I wanna qualify all of this by saying that I understand that I used like my title is Understanding Xenophobia in Singapore and I've had a lot of conversations with friends about defending it. And I've I've realized that the word xenophobia has also become a bit of a, a trigger word in the sense that people just go on the defensive immediately, even though they're not xenophobes or they're not they don't have those that kind of mindset. It's just that xenophobia has become such a charged word that it just becomes extremely difficult to To have a conversation with any level of you know nuance and without removing uh, emotion from it, so I just want to say that I think we should just talk about it as discomfort, which kind of indicates a level of social and economic issues that aren't necessarily about stereotyping and discrimination. So that probably gives a little more context. And I hope anybody who's listening this, listening to this um, series of podcasts, I hope they don't come at me saying, it, oh, look at this guy talking about xenophobia. Fuck you, go back to your country, you know, blah, 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 and all that stuff. So, yeah, just want to qualify for that.
2: I should Question, Ervindo. Have you yep. gotten any of that since you released your podcast?
1: Uh, actually, no. Okay. Uh, not, not yet. Well, fingers crossed. I think I, <laughs> Maybe I have, after this. <laughs> well, I've been very careful about this. Like, I understand that it is a charged issue, and I wanted to, like, you know, tackle this with some level of, you know, fairness. Interestingly enough, I got a lot of, you know, feedback while I was, you know, talking to uh, my friends about this in the Greens podcast, I think a lot of my friends, foreigners especially, you know, advised that I don't put this out because it has the potential of, you know, just blowing up and becoming an issue of its own. And anything that you put on the internet has the potential to be as interpreted and you know, all that stuff. My foreigner friends, some of them have talked about how, you know, you have that I have the potential to lose my work past here simply by talking about this. And I just, I just thought that maybe there should be a way for us to, talk about it without having to resort to, you know, rhetoric or polemic and stuff. But uh, yeah, hopefully I don't get any of that holy shit.
2: Yeah. Um, well, okay. Well I'm really glad that you put it out. And I think anyone listening to your podcast would not find it xenophobic at all. Or or even that you're pointing fingers or passing judgment. And I think you've done like an excellent job uh with the podcast. my final thoughts? Can I just copy what you said and and say that we need, we need more discussion with less emotions <laughs> and more nuance. <laughs> because uh, I think uh, not just for this topic, but lots of other topics as well. For example, racism and things like that. Because right now what I've seen increasingly uh, in, in, in the social media space is that, you know, we're not able to have good discussions or even arguments on things. Because people tend to get so riled up and then they're like, oh my god, you're so cancelled. Oh my god.
1: Oh my um, god. Cancel culture the worst. <laughs> yeah, I fucking
2: hate cancel culture. We need to cancel cancel culture. <laughs> because when when you're not able to go into the whys and hows of how things, why things became the way it does, there's no understanding on the depth of the issue. So you only have like a surface understanding and then you want surface um responses which is like stop xenophobia stop being bad to other people
0: I just think we need to get rid of all these labels because <laughs> Rindo I am the I am the master of clickbait titles and I am, I know why you name your episode the way you did but I think okay I also kind of want the audience to understand where I'm coming from I'm not saying xenophobia doesn't exist in Singapore far from it my problem usually with this kind of conversation is that people kind of just attribute the entirety of whatever issue to like one thing because it's neat and it's easy why i invited you on to quote unquote criticize your episode for some particular segment is because i think there there are alternative explanations for some of the things that happen that doesn't involve race or discrimination or xenophobia and i think that's the that's kind of the, the key when talking about Other subjects as well Is that we We don't put ourselves Into this box And expect The so called opposition To function within This particular framework And then the moment They don't You just decry them As a racist or xenophobe Because that must be it Right That's the only reason Why you will not Engage with my framing That's where I'm coming from I I hope that you had A good conversation I certainly had A lot of fun And I believe This is is a very good conversation um, For all of us to have
1: Yeah, I I really did. Uh, John, Angie, thank you so much. I mean, this is really, really interesting. Uh, You know, I think it's been a struggle uh, working on this podcast, to be honest, because I think there was a lot of reading involved, a lot of self-doubt, fears about whether I need to put this out there, and also understanding the the charge nature of the topic. So I'm glad that, uh, you know, John didn't draw a sword and come at me from the (laughs) get-go. So that was a positive sign. (laughs)
2: You did a good thing. You did an excellent thing. Yeah. <laughs> why why like, y'all
0: why y'all think of me like that? This is discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> this is stereotype. Well, you know, don't live up to your stereotype then, John. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I mean, though you can plug yourself one last time.
2: Where can people find you?
0: Yeah. Um, sure. So uh
1: the the podcast is called Living It Up in Lion City. Uh it's available on all podcast platforms. We talk we talk about culture, history and other random stuff in, in Singapore. Uh, we try to like have you know foreigners and locals sit down together and talk about stuff. Every once in a while, I do audio essays, so to speak. Check it out, and uh, I think the the next episode will be coming out. God knows when, because I really need a break. But uh, yeah, hopefully you guys check it out. And Can hopefully we not you'll...
0: wait another like three months for part three? Uh, or for... <laughs> I'm
2: well, really okay. looking forward to part three, by the way.
1: It's, it's going to be a lot more subjective <laughs> and a lot less research. So yeah, I, I yeah. hope to put that soon. Yeah, yeah.
0: Just, check awesome. out there, just check it out then. Just check it out okay. well, um, Please with-
2: give him some pressure so that he'll like, you know, put out episode three, part three soon.
0: Okay, and with that, we'll- I'll call the end to this podcast. Thank you once again and thank you to our listeners for listening and I hope that you you learn as as much as I did, maybe more. And uh, th- also thank you, Angie, for helping me out with this um, episode.
2: You're very welcome. And thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. Thanks,
1: thanks, thanks so much, John, mm. Angie. All right.
2: Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye.